Amen. I want to talk to you this morning about remote control. Controlling worship. Who handles the remote in your home? I'm not pointing fingers, but sometimes in my home, it is often a little five-year-old called Ariana. And she has this thing where she likes to hide the remote from us just as a way of playing around, just so dad doesn't get to watch what he wants, but she does. But, uh, you know, we have remotes for everything. We've got remotes for the TV, the DVD player. Those of you guys have like a drone. You've got remotes for little airplanes like this little helicopter I'm holding. Uh, and and it, look, it controls it. So if you, you hold the button open and, you know, it, it moves. It, this remote controls the purpose for this machine. And I actually... I thought about like letting us fly around your heads today, uh, but I knew that I wasn't that good, all right? And I didn't want to have a lawsuit on my hands. So the thing about remotes is that, uh, or controlling remote is that this little box controls the purpose of this little machine, right? And uh, if you have a person who knows what they're doing, they can make this purpose fulfilled, right? But if you, like me, don't know what you're doing with this helicopter, you wouldn't want me flying it around your head because I'm not very good in control, right? We don't, I don't have the, the tools or the resources or the ability to do what its purpose is. And even our soundboard back there is controlling the musical... The musical instruments have a purpose, but it's the controlling board that makes the sound sound good, all right? It's a device that controls the machine from a distance. And a person who doesn't know what they're doing can make it lose control. It's not going to sound very good. A person that knows what they're doing uh, is in control. So we've got losing control when you don't know what you're doing. And you've got in control when I know what I'm doing. And the same is true for our life today. I think about those words, control. In control, out of control, under control. We use that word a lot. I think about control, I think about a person who is, uh, we say, in control of their emotions or their faculty. When you look at Scripture, that, that I'm in control. Uh, a Proverbs even says, a person who is out of control is like a, uh, who is out of control of their emotions, who's got no self-control, is like a man who is in a ruined city, that the walls and the gates are falling down, and you're, there's ruin in your life if you don't have control or you lose control of your passions or your emotions. I think about people, uh, maybe you know someone, or maybe you, you have that issue where, man, uh, you had a bad day, and someone comes up to you and says, how's it going? And you just, oh my God, you're just like, whoa, dude, I was just asking how it was going and how your hamburger tasted. But man, it was just all there because of your emotions really are in control in that moment. You ever had days like that, right? And then there are some people who say, I have no, no control. I'm at a loss of control of my emotions or I'm at a loss of control of my life. Or maybe there's passion in your life that's driving you uh, that, you, man, you get in trouble because... I don't, I'm not in control of this habit or this hang-up or this emotion. Then you have, on the other end of the spectrum, people that are in control. Uh, I, by nature, was a controlling person. One of the things they used to say to me a lot of times when I was young is, smile, Heath, smile, have a good day, smile all the time. Uh, because I, I wasn't a very emotional person. In fact, uh, the control that I had... Uh, you know, I didn't get happy and sad. I'm pretty even keen as a, as, a, as a person. I'm pretty normal, steady by nature. 
But what I found out later on in life was that this was a way for me to cope with the things that were going on around me. Uh, If you know about having control, it feels like you have power. For instance, if things are chaotic around you, if you can just kind of be in control of yourself, you feel like, man, I'm, I'm in control of this situation too. Uh, you don't have to, uh, you have restraint over yourself. You are emotionally controlled. Sometimes uh, emotionally controlled people often judge others that are out of control emotionally. I found out when uh, growing up that, uh, especially in church, in the idea of public worship and demonstration, I would be definitely a reserved person. I, would live, I grew up in a, a charismatic Pentecostal background, and so as a young person seeing um, a lot of public expression in worship, being a very controlling person, I often looked at people who were crazy with their hands up or shouting out. Some people, we had dancing a lot uh, in the church that I grew up in on Sunday nights, and I would look at those people, honestly, just confession, I would look at them with a little bit of judgmentalism because I thought, Man, they are very emotional. They need to kind of rein it in there, you know, a little bit. Come on, tone it down. Just bring it back to zero, Bessie. You know, like, I mean, just kind of a pull it back, right? Uh, and I would look at that, and I would, I would think, well, man, they're really prideful. Man, they can get up and shout and testify, and they don't care who. Man, they, they got some pride issues there. Maybe they're a little too emotionally driven. They're out of control, uh, whereas I'm fairly in control, you know? What I realized, though, years down the road was that this sense of control, while I thought it was giving me power over my situation, I realized later on that I really was in a prison inside of myself. And in fact, the other people were the free ones. I thought, well, I'm the one. I got this. I'm in this little box. I worship. Don't judge me on how I worship. You, you handle your life because I know you're down here in a heap of mess, but then your life's crazy on Monday through Friday, and I'm over, I can worship Jesus right here. You know, Tim Hawkins said, I think my fish is this big. You know, like I, right here, I'm in control. I got power. I'm normal. I'm good. Don't mess with my, don't rock the boat, right? But I realized, man, this wall that I had put up in my life for so many years of hiding inside myself built a prison around me. Uh, It wasn't until my college years, growing up in a Pentecostal background, it was not until my college years that God dealt with me on my personal issue of raising my hands in worship. Now, it wasn't anything to do that's special about raising my hands, but it was that I was so much in control of myself that really I had not given the Holy Spirit control of my life. I had actually lost being able to worship God because I had no power to witness. I had no power to worship because of my sense and need for control. I really want to ask you just a few questions this morning. And number one is this, who is in control of your worship? Who is in control of you? And I don't want you to mishear me this morning. I'm not going to ask you or talk to you about being in less control or losing control, nor am I going to talk to you about gaining control. I want to talk to you about giving control to the Holy Spirit. We're not talking about losing control of ourself, and we're not talking about gaining control, but we're talking about giving control of the Holy Spirit, who is the author of self-control, and His purpose is to make your life 
exalt Jesus Christ. That's his one and only game. So if there's this one thing I want you to remember this morning is lose your controlling self and let go to the spirit of self-control. I want us to lose our controlling self and let go to the spirit of self-control. So I really want to talk to you this morning about the controlling self and the spirit of self-control. But before I do that, I want to talk to you about your purpose. Just like this uh, little remote control helicopter here, it has a purpose. It was made to do so. Before I can talk to you about how to or not to control it, you've got to know what it was designed for. My sound guys back here in the back and our media guys, they have to know the purpose of what this music is going to sound like and what we want our media to do before they know that they can use it rightly. And you and I were made to worship. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, you were made to worship. You were made to worship. That is the purpose of your very, whether you know it or not, that's the purpose of your very existence. Jesus, our Genesis chapter one said, that God made man in his image, in his likeness. He made them both male and female. He made them. He made them to be good stewards of this earth. He made them to fellowship with him, to commune with him. That is to worship him. And when we talk about made in his image, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but really I, I feel like I just have to hone in on it again because I want you to think about like the symbols back here on the back. If we were to crash them, in a real-life situation, they would resonate. There would be an echo, a reverberation of that real symbol. That echo is not the original note, but it is a resonating sound. It is an echo of the real deal. You and I were echoes. We were fingerprints, uh, uh, resonations of His glory, that we, we resounded that there is a God. The fact that there are human beings on this earth is proof that God exists, that He loves, that He has a plan, that He has a purpose, that He wants to make something that He can have fellowship with. We're not monkeys. We are not dinosaurs. We're not reptiles. We're not anything. We are something unique on this earth. And why? Is because there is a God. And you were made to worship and have communion with him. And I think about this. How many people have a driver's license? Some of our kids here don't. But you have a driver's license. Think about this. What if I tried to have a relationship with your driver's license? Now, that wouldn't be, be kind of weird. I'd probably be committed for this. But, but f- think about this. On, in your pocket is a driver's license. And on that driver's license is an image. That image is proof that you exist. That image is proof. Some of you have a good picture. Some of you have a bad picture, and we'll compare those later. But, but you have an image, some of it good, some of it bad, but it proves that there was a person, your name, who went to the DMV and got that thing, and it proves what power and authority you have. It says you have a CDL license, or you have a Class A, or you have to have uh, contact lenses or glasses to drive, right? There's proof of your power. You have, a, you have been given the permission to drive in the great state of Louisiana and avoid all the potholes. You have the ability, they say, to do this. And it says, for some of you, it says that you are a blood donor, that you have a caring heart and, and you're going to give your heart away to someone, right? And for the, uh, the rest of us, some, some of us, it says that you have conceal and carry permit that don't mess with me, sister, I'm packing. That, that, that says that on some of your license. And that is not you, though. It is a representation 
of who you are. It has a picture of you. It shows the power you have. It shows the love even that you have for someone. And you and I are the driver's license of God. God is not the driver. We are not. The driver's license is not you and we are not God. But we have the imprint of his nature. We have been given his power and authority to do something. And it shows that he cares and he loves that he has a plan that he is willing to give his heart for mankind. But it's not him. And we are not God. So we were made in his likeness to show the world there is a God. This is proof. We are proof that there is a God. We were made to point people to worship God. Amen? Now, what happens is we turn to self-worship. People start worshiping their driver's license. Or if you go to the Statue of Liberty, maybe you'll get one of those little fake Statue of Liberty. How many people in the Statue of Liberty? You see one of those little fake Symbols, you know, a little keychain, you come home or it's a light or something. That's not the statue of everybody, but it looks like it. Don't think you have one that you've been there, right? You just have a picture of it. It's a demonstration, a resounding symbol. And people began to worship the image. And in uh, Exodus, it says, uh, God gives the law. And he says, do not worship any other images. You shall have no other gods before me. I am God alone. Don't make any images pretending to be me or any other thing and don't worship that but we begin to turn worship over to the image of self to the image of creation we failed in our purpose we begin to worship the thing itself rather than the one who was making it or designed to worship and then christ comes along and we had had god's spirit in us and we were worshiping god by his spirit originally but then we lost that communion with god he had breathed life into us and that communion was breathed into us by his life and now we were under the law and we lost it and we began to worship self so christ comes what does he do he begins to make us christian you know what the word christian means it means little christ he wanted to restore you and i to our original purpose He put the breath of God back in the church, his people, the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to remake your heart. That's a heart of stone, a stony heart of flesh. And I'm going to make you a soft heart. I'm going to mold you again back into the image of God so you can be a better driver's license, a better little statue of liberty. You can better represent what he's really like. You can start pointing people again back to worshiping him. You can show them my power, my authority, my purpose, my image, my heart. Begin to point them back so that Your whole point is to say, look at him. Look at this God. Look how awesome he is. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he powerful? Isn't he loving? And the only way you can do that, Jesus says, is by having this born again, spiritual birth, this indwelling influence of the Holy Spirit. You know, in fact, he says to a woman at a well who is trying to live life very religiously, thinking she had done it all, that she could do her life her own way, but also claim that she had religion. He says, woman, the time is coming and now in, now is, when true worshipers, the Father is seeking such to worship Him, true worshipers. How are they going to worship? He says, they're going to worship in what? Spirit and in truth. The breath of God is going to come back in them. They're going to fulfill their purpose once again, to point people back to worship the King of Kings. In fact, Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, he says, You must worship in the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in 
the flesh. He'd go on to say, guys, in fact, when the Holy Spirit comes in you, you will be vessels or tabernacles or temples of the Holy Spirit. Once again, the Holy Spirit is going to come back in you just like it did for Adam, but even in a more powerful way, ways that even Adam and Eve did not know. Now through Jesus Christ, when you were worshiping your own images and people started having relationships uh, to identify with their own selves and to worship carnal things and fleshly things, now the Holy Spirit's going to come back and do a new thing. And you're going to begin to worship God through the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, guys, you're made to worship. You're made to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way you can worship God. Don't put any confidence in what? Your flesh. I'm going to talk to you about the controlling self. There's a hang-up for all of us in this whole process. If I want to live out my purpose for God is that I'm not a very good remote controller. I'm not very good at flying this thing. In fact, I don't even think this thing works. But it, I'm not good at it. I can't really live out the purpose for my own life when I am in control. Look in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. And if you have your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 7 as well. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. And Paul's saying, guess what? Guys, you think you have self-control, but what you really have is selfish control. You think you have self-control. You think I can do life how I want to do it. I can worship God with some songs and, and try to live a good life. But in fact, when your flesh is in control, it is against the very purpose for which you were made. Your flesh can't control that helicopter very well. Your flesh seeks to worship its own image. It's that, oh, what a beautiful driver's license I am. Oh, look how wonderful my picture is. Look how much power they say that I have. I can go anywhere in the United States with this wonderful thing that I am. It's corrupted. It, it's worshiping its own ability. It's worshiping its own self. And the Spirit says, I'm in opposition to that. You're messing up the whole purpose for which you were made and designed to be. He's selfishly in control. It makes bad worship music. It's a bad instrument. The flesh inside of me, it doesn't want to be controlled by the Spirit, nor does it want to worship God. Instead, it wants to be comfortable. And the most things that all of our flesh deals with is two things. It's pride and pleasure. Pride and pleasure. I mean, that's what the self longs for. That's what the self uh, desires to have. It desires pride, build me up, and pleasure. Give me the things that I want to be comfortable. Give me the things that I want that make me feel good. The, the flesh seeks to please itself. Romans 8, verse 7 says this. It says, For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control... Everybody say control. Oh, that was bad. Everybody say control. There we go. Control of their sinful nature can never please God. If Heath Harris has the remote control of his life in his hand. Listen to me. I can never please God. If I am in control of my own pride and pleasure 
If I am in control of what builds me up, if I am in control of what I'm seeking to be comfortable with, what I think is good for me, or what I want to do with my life, whether it be the career path I take, or the person that we marry, or the places that we go, or the way I spend my money, or what I look at on television, or my computer, or my phone, or where I go in life, and things that I say, and how I treat people, if Heath Harris is in control, I'm a bad worship instrument. I'm a bad instrument. I I can't fulfill the purpose. It's like playing uh, this guitar over here and not knowing what I'm doing. I make some noise on it, but it's not pleasing unto the Lord. I'm a bad instrument when my flesh is in control. And what the flesh leads me to are two things. And this is this, is self-led worship. The first thing that self-worship does or self-led worship does when I live my life under the control of the flesh is, number one, it, it seeks after man's image. The Bible says that uh, Jesus condemned the Pharisees, he says, because they have been seekers of man or the pleasing of man rather than pleasers of God. They have been seeking man's compliment, the praise of men, rather than the praise of God. John twelve forty three, And this is what, man, in this day that we live in, this is what the selfie society has turned on uh, exponential, right? Uh, we have done this to another degree. We worship so very much the image of man, whether it be setting up a Hollywood figure and say, wow, she's got a good-looking body, or man, he's a good-looking guy, or man, they can sell those cars, or you know, they have a fame and reputation, wish I looked like them. We begin to uh, worship self. We begin to worship the image of man. We put things online to make ourselves look good. We talk about how awesome our family is, and we crop the best image out, and we put the best foot forward, and we talk about, we could have argued all weekend with our spouse, but when we go to work on Monday, we talk about how wonderful our trip was at the lake, and how everything was, because why? We are worshiping an image of self. We put everything out there and say, look at me, and what that does is it turns us inward. It turns to say, well, I'm not, we begin to compare and, and contrast one another. We begin to think, well, maybe I want to be like her or want to be like him. I'm not as cool as them or I don't have it all together like they do. And we become self-conscious. We're self-aware. We're self-conscious because uh, we project self-confidence. It's all about self. It's all about how good we look and what duck lips we're putting out on Facebook or social media, right? I don't know where that trend came from, by the way. But we put it out there because it makes my cheeks look thin and my lips look big because that's what's attractive. Because it's all about image, worshiping man's image. Don't be quiet while I'm preaching now. Because that's what this culture worships. I want bigger lips and this and that, and I got to go to surgeries to make myself look better because it's all about image. Self-worship self. It's quiet in here. The second thing man worships is his own efforts. He worships his own traditions. And Jesus says, you're teaching in vain traditions of man while you're ignoring the law. You're ignoring the very heartbeat of what God is all about. He says to the Pharisees, the religious elite, he says, guys, you're, you're not worshiping well. You're not good musical instruments. You're not... The control that you have is, is, is making God's law in vain, what God really has set this self, his self up for. You're worshiping through man-made traditions. Things like this. You're, you try to worship God through good behavior, which that's great, but that's not how you can worship God. You can't worship God through good giving. Good giving is great, but that's not how you can worship God. You can uh, stop cussing and having sex and drinking and put all these rules on your life. And you can even speak in tongues and you can come forward as many times as you want. Try to be the best person you can be. And Jesus says, unless you are born again, unless you have a living communion with the Holy Spirit, and unless, listen to me, 
Jesus even says in Matthew 25, he says, there's going to be some up there who've gone to heaven, and man, they've done some good works. They've even cast out some demons and given up some prophecies. And he says, guys, I don't have a clue who you are because my spirit has not been the one doing it through you. You've been doing this stuff through your own efforts. Because let me tell you something, his power and authority still works. I don't care if it's a donkey speaking it. It's his name. His name is powerful. You're just the driver's license that says there's a concealed carry permit, but Jesus is the one holding the power. You understand me? He's the one that's shedding his blood on the cross for the heart. Just because you have a heart on your driver's license doesn't mean anything. He's the one that's laid on his life for people. Amen? So he's the one. So he says, you're worshiping in vain traditions. You know, we can go to church today all across America, and especially in our area, we can come to church we can sing a few songs. We can have a good word and think that we had church. Think that we've met God, but in the same, but we've not had that intimate fellowship or connection with Him. Listen to me this morning. There is something beyond thinking good Bible thoughts. There is something beyond knowing good Bible doctrine. There is something beyond singing good gospel contemporary music, songs, whatever your choice is, or hymns. Because it's not the hymn, and it's not the speaking of the pastor. It's not in the amount of offerings that we take up. It's in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit that is manifested in our midst. It is on the indwelling influence of the Holy Spirit that is moving us to worship. For instance, if someone comes up to me and says, hey, there's this great need, and would you give $1,000 to it? Let's just say I feel emotionally connected, and my flesh says, you know what? You can afford that. Go ahead, write that $1,000 check. I get nothing from that. That's a great good deed to do, and the Bible commands us to good do deeds. But what God wants more is when the Holy Spirit pricks your heart and he says, Heath, do this because I'm telling you to do this. Do this in worship of me. That way I get the glory. You understand? Maybe he wants me to do it anonymously. Maybe he wants me to give 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000. I don't know. Whatever is not comfortable for me, whatever I have to rely on him to do by faith so that he gets the glory. It must be this communing relationship that we do all things to the Holy Spirit. And I think this is the reason today that so many churches lack in worship or more occupied with selfish pleasures and self-image. We come in from a carnal week to come in and find that we can't meet God on a spiritual Sunday. We have material possessions that fill our minds from money to sex to the best-looking family or body. We live our life every day with the flesh in control of our remote. And we've got no ability or desire to worship God. I heard it this week, a pastor talk about why do we want to even go to heaven any longer because so many people are so preoccupied with the earth that they have no desire to even go to heaven because they think, well, that's just worship. All you're going to do is sing and worship God. Why would you want to go there? Because that's what we were made to do. Your number one desire in your life, if you are spirit-filled, should be to worship God the Lord. I should want to worship God more than I want to watch TV. I should want to worship God's image more than I want to watch Facebook. Come on. 
I should want to worship God more than I want to sit in my recliner with stretchy pants on and just take a nap. Because sometimes that's a good thing, right, guys? You just sit in your recliner, zone off, turn it off. Some of you guys hide in the bathroom, whatever it is. But I should want to worship God more than deer hunting, than shopping, than riding around the dump or wherever you guys ride around town. Or I should want to worship God more than anything in the world. That means I want to be here every Sunday because there's something inside of me that was made to worship God. Romans 6, 13 says, Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourself completely to God. For you are dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. My challenge to you this morning is to be a better instrument. Be a better vessel. Who's playing the worship music through your life? Who is in control of the way you live your life in life worship to God? Do you have an indwelling influence of the Holy Spirit? Because that's the only way you're going to please God. Look with me real quick in Romans 8, 5. So we have the controlling self, and I'll wrap it up with this. We have the spirit of self-control. We were made to worship, but we have a controlling self, but we have to have the spirit of self-control control. Some people worry about it, and this is what I did when I was growing up in a Pentecostal church, Spirit-filled church. I worried, man, if that Holy Spirit gets a hold of me, that thing jumps off of that dude and jumps onto me, I don't think I want to flop around like a fish or run around the church or shout in glory, hallelujah, and jump over some chairs. I don't, I don't think I'm ready for that level of Christianity. Anybody grew up like me? I don't think, I, I don't think that's quite the level Heath Harris wants to lose control. I feared losing control to God. I really did. That was the number one reason it took me so long to go to an altar, get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because I feared losing control. But now that I'm older, sometimes I think, God, would you just take control of my life? Because I can't handle this person. You're going to have to talk through me because something else, the spirit of slap or whatever is going to come out of me. And you're going to have to deal with something more than right now because, God, I need you. How many people know sometimes I want God to take control of my life, right? I need God to break this habit. I need God to do something. I need God to be in control. But you know what? The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. And I've learned that I don't have to fear losing control and I really have to watch how I pray God take control because the Holy Spirit is more like an internal regulator. There's this medical terminology called homostasis where basically it's like inside of your body is this regulation system. You have all these different systems, lymphatic system, and you've got your blood sugar level and you've got all this stuff where it knows that if you eat too much sugar, it knows how to balance it out for some of us if we're not you know, diabetic. Or if I do this or do that, if I start running and jogging, it knows to turn the sweat glands on. It knows how to regulate my body accordingly to my environment. And the Holy Spirit, I think, is very much like that. He is not wanting to just take you over like a zombie, but He doesn't want you at the helm either. He wants to regulate you. So, for instance, in your life, you go to the office one day and then someone says something about your mama or whatever. And and they say, oh, Lord, she's got the anger coming up. Turn up the peace, buddy. Turn, turn up the peace. Real quick. Hurry. Turn up the peace. And he changes the thermostat in your heart because you've been communing with him. He's not going to take you over and he's not going to make you lose control. He's not going to just possess you. And you don't got to fear letting go to him. But he wants to fill you with so many things. The Bible says... 
that the fruit of the Spirit is not just love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and all of these, but the last one in Galatians 5, you know what it says? It is self-control. He wants to have the power of self-control in your life. He doesn't want you to be in control, and you, he's not going to just take you over, but what he's going to do is give you the product of a relationship with him where there is a right balance in your life. And, and Paul says it this way in Romans 8, 7, he says, For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. Sorry, in Romans uh, 8, 5, he says, Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Who is in control of your life? Who's at the helm? Who's making the beautiful worship music out of your obedience, of your life, of your your financial giving, of your, your relationship with your spouse, of your relationship with your coworkers, of how much you're pointing people back to the image and power and love of God? Who is at the helm of your life? And have you lost your controlling self and given control over to the Holy Spirit who can provide the adequate self-control that we all need? For instance, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of our life, here's what's going to happen. Number one is He's going to help you crucify the flesh. Spirit-filled worship, a Spirit-filled life of worship with the indwelling influence of the Holy Spirit. One, He's going to help you crucify the flesh. He's going to say, guys, you're going to, you want to give that nature up. Don't, don't focus on pride and pleasure. Don't focus on your own self. Do something that focuses on God. Crucify that flesh daily and let me come and live and and regulate your peace and regulate your love and fill you with good things and let me overflow with joy and abundance in your life. And so he helps you, number one, crucify the flesh. Second thing he does is he uh, begins to fill you. Bible says, be filled continually with the Holy Spirit. He begins to come in your life. And Paul says in Corinthians, he says that now the spirit of Christ controls us and he he causes me to love other people and because i'm filled with him on a daily basis he does things in my life with that joy and that peace and that love and he comes in and abundantly and i have this sweep over my soul remember that song sweep over my soul with billows of love that as i'm alone with god i i get a supernatural heavenly peace in this situation it doesn't come from my situation changing or doesn't come from someone being more nice to me it comes because as i close my doors and close my eyes and say god I crucify the flesh, Lord. It's not about me and my reputation and my comfort and what I want in life. But, Lord, I I surrender control to you. Holy Spirit, have control of my emotions. Holy Spirit, have control of my desires. Holy Spirit, have control of my finances. Holy Spirit, have control of what I say to that person in this argument that I'm in. Holy Spirit, have control with the steps and my order of my life. Lord, that I would walk out of this place just with a peace and a security and a serenity. And then, guess what? Heaven begins to come down. 
and there's a worship moment with you and God that it's not a, I got to go to church or call the pastor and get this fixed or my situation has to change. But literally, as you were with Adam and Eve and fellowshipping in the garden, having communion with him in a moment alone in your closet or your car in the middle of Walmart, you can just say, I worship you, mighty God. You alone are good. You alone are holy. I exalt you, O God, not to me, but to your name, God, be the glory. And as you begin to sacrifice yourself, guess what? Heaven begins to come down in your life. You you become a better instrument of his glory, of his goodness. How many people think we need the indwelling influence of the Holy Spirit more today than ever? He crucifies the flesh, he fills, and lastly is this. He wants you to follow Him. Because if He's at the helm and He's controlling my life and influencing my life and He's at internal regular, then I then begin to respond with what He says. You see, this isn't a dominating relationship. When the Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, it says, if you live in the Spirit, meaning you have new birth, then stay in step with the Spirit. It's a dance. In fact, that word right there, that phrase right there, if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit, really talks about, in a lot of ways, ballroom dancing. It's the best thing we can illustrate it to, that is as the person who is lead, if I was up here with my wife and, and I was the lead, I'd put my hand on the small of her back and I, I take the position. And as I step forward, she steps back. And as I step to the left, she steps to her right. And, and, and it's uh, one person's leading back and forth and the other person's following That is the control the Holy Spirit wants in your life. If you are born again and he's come inside of you and there's something living, and I know I'm made for a purpose. He says, okay, now let me make some beautiful dancing with you. Let me make some beautiful worship with your life. If you'll just surrender control. Now, I'm not a very good ballroom dancer. Years ago, I took my wife for uh, some lessons for our anniversary or whatever. Normally, she was the lead just going to be honest. She had to be the lead because I don't know what I'm doing. I was too Pentecostal for that. So uh, you had to let the Spirit take over for you to dance in Pentecostal, you know. But, but, you know, you have one person has to lead in a dance. Do you know this? You have to have one person lead or it's going to be a train wreck in your life for you to worship God well. Someone has to be the influencing controller. Someone's got to be the prime mover, the one who's making this beautiful worship. And here's what he's going to do in your life. And here's why we see a less in our church, because here's uh, Paul says in First Corinthians and Ephesians, really what happens when the Holy Spirit takes control in Ephesians five, he says this, man, the Holy Spirit's in your life and you're filled continually. He says you're going to speak in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. That's just not normal songs. He says you're going to speak and sing in spiritual songs. Anybody ever sung in spiritual songs before? You know what that is? You can worship God without lyrics. How many people know how to worship God without lyrics? You can just begin to make a melody in your heart. He says, as the Holy Spirit comes in your life, you're going to sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. You're going to always give thanks to Jesus because as you go throughout your day, you can just begin to sing, God is so good. God is so good to me. You're going to just sit there in the car waiting at the red light, just singing praise to Jesus. If you are Holy Spirit filled, and if the Holy Spirit is in control of your life worship, if you have an indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, you're going to care more about worshiping God than trolling Facebook, than seeking your own carnal pleasures and your own image, your pleasure and your power and your identity. You are going to worship God 
24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. That's going to be something coming out, bubbling inside of you because that's what you were made to do. We need to be singing spiritual songs to God. Don't come in here, please. Go deeper. Don't come in here and just follow the screen. I don't care if I, I go to places all the time. We go to pastors' conferences in different churches. I don't know half of the songs, but what I know how to do is I know how to praise the Lord. I don't need a band. I don't need a screen. I don't need music. I can be alone and praise the Lord. That's called spiritual maturity, church. It's just because you are made to worship. Lastly, and he says this. He says, guys, when the Holy Spirit's among you, he said there will be gifts, prophetic gifts. The Holy Spirit will use. Some of you are going to come to church with a word. Some of you are going to come with a song. Some of you are going to come with something God has done in your testimony in your life. And he says, where you're gathered together, man, one's going to prophesy. One might give an interpretation. One might give a word. And as you come together, let the Holy Spirit order it all out. He's not a God of disorder. He's not going to make you do crazy things you don't want to do. He says, the spirit of the prophet subject to the prophet. He's a gentleman. It's a dance. And as we let him be in control of our church services, he says, in those moments... There may be unbelievers among you, he says, that men's hearts will be disclosed and they, by seeing you interact with the Holy Spirit in worship, they will fall on their faces, declare there is a God, and they too will worship Him. Don't you want to see church service? Listen, come on, listen. This morning, I know. Don't you want to see a move of God in Gina, Louisiana? Don't you want to see that God just shows up among us? It comes when we all become good musical instruments, that this audience becomes an orchestra to God. That we're not fighting. Listen, I've been in churches where there have been two ladies in the back row fighting over who's given a message in tongues. That was the control of the flesh. Spirit doesn't do that. I've seen people flopping around like a fish, shouting, hollering, making a spectacle of themselves, interrupting the pastor. That's the flesh. That's the flesh in control. We don't want that. But we also don't want to sit there reserved like a bump on a log, not opening our mouth, not raising our hands, not letting the prophetic anointing of the Holy Spirit come out either. That's the flesh as well. We don't want loss of control or gaining of control. We want to give control to the Holy Spirit, who is the author of self-control. Are you with me? I'm going to ask you to stand with me all across this place. Worship team, would you come? We want God to take control if we were this beautiful orchestra this morning and God was in control, as you begin to play, just like this music we're about to listen to this morning, some of you are a flute and some of you are a guitar and some of you are a saxophone and some of you are the drums. And as you begin to play and sing and worship God, not through your own ability, but through the Holy Spirit that's inside of you, the Holy Spirit comes in like that soundboard, that remote control, and he begins to orchestrate it in a great and beautiful way. I've been a part of prayer meetings before where one will give a word, and man, that word is exactly what was needed for someone across the room, and, and worship began to happen. God got the glory. Or, or man, we're, I've been a part of a, a move of God before where the pastor said to someone in the back, he said, hey, you, sir, you've got a message you are supposed to share, and and, and that person shared that message. And I'm talking about you could just see the anointing just sweep over the whole place. I remember going to a, uh, a retreat one time and the evangelist told the keyboard player, he said, he came over here to the keyboard player. You guys go ahead. Came over to the keyboard player and he said, sir, you are on a plane ride here today. I've never met you before. 
you're on a plane ride and I, we've never been but the, the evangelist didn't know the worship team the worship team was flown in and we were in the audience I was about right there about midway back he says in your pocket is a song you wrote on the plane ride here he said you were saving that song because your band's never practiced it or anything like that but he said God gave you that song on the plane ride here that song is for right now let me tell you something because it was birthed by the Spirit. It wasn't about what was on the screen or what was on the order of the service. When that young man began to sing his heart through the Spirit, play a song he's never sang or written before, nobody else knew, I'm talking you could tangibly feel the anointing. Man, from front of the room to the back of the room, people just began to speak and sing and worship. and The altars began to flood because it was Spirit. It wasn't flesh. It wasn't either losing control to our emotions nor holding control by our flesh and feeling all reserved. But it was saying, God, I am made to worship you. I just want to worship you. That's all. I'm not perfect. I don't always feel good. I, we sin, we fail, we falter, but we clothe ourselves in the blood of Jesus who forgives us of all sin. And we say, God, get my music in right direction. Get my eyes focused on the image of God, not focused on the image of man. God, get me off the pride of my flesh. It's so concerned what people think about me if my hands are raised or if I'm singing or if I go to the front. That's all self-control, the controlling self. Say, God, I don't care. My life is all for you. And Lord, I know you're not going to make me do something crazy, irrational, making a spectacle that's going to focus it on me. God's not into that either. He wants to focus it on Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. I'm going to invite you this morning. we got plenty of time this morning. We ordered our service so we could end with some Spirit-led worship. I'm going to invite you, if you feel led, just to find a place across the front or where you're at, and you feel, Lord, I need to come out of my seat because I've been in too control. I've been worried about what's going on around me or what people are thinking. I'm just going to come get lost with Jesus and worship Him. These altars are, I would encourage many of you to come find a place to cross.